you should always make time to have balance in life, whether it's for yourself or for your family. Because at the end of the day, for me, it's my family, it's my faith, it's my job. Those are my things. But nothing to me is more important than my family and my faith. And I always want to make time for those things. And I think that it has created a sense of, I guess, for lack of better words, just consistency. And it allows me, whenever things get stressful or chaotic or anything else, it gives me a place to go to where I can just recenter and, and get back to where I need to be. And life, you know, when you start adding things to it, it gets busier and busier and busier. And I look at calendars like they're a closet. You'll find something <laughs> to put in there. So you have to be intentional about making time for yourself and for your loved ones. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by CBRE. CBRE is the global leader in real estate operations, providing solutions to the world's largest energy, oil and gas companies. CBRE supports our clients' facilities, both upstream and downstream without compromising safety by delivering strategies that optimize operations, reduce cost and risk. Unlock the power of your energy, oil, and gas portfolio with CBRE. Learn more at www.cbre.com forward slash EOG. If you're interested in getting your hands on some OGGN laptop hard hat stickers, check out the show notes for a 10 second survey and we'll get those shipped out to you. All right, let's get into it. I'm sitting here today with Morgan Lucas, president of Lucas Oil. How are you today, Morgan? Oh, I'm great. I really appreciate you having me on. I love that you're on. You're just recently, what were you telling me, the uh, under 40? Yeah, so the Indianapolis Business Journal, which is a really awesome publication here in town. They keep everybody abreast of what's going on in our marketplace across a ton of different industries. They honored me with being one of the 40 under 40 for 2023. That's awesome. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. There's some things I never thought I'd be doing in my life or being known as or anything like that. And that's definitely towards the top of the list. <laughs> How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'll be 40 in November. so I. Oh, okay. With... So we're about the same age. I'll be 40 yeah. in January. Oh, great. Yes. Yeah, so it's a good time to be this age right now because I feel like modern science is, is definitely caught up with us. And yeah. we've got another 10 years more than our parents did. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, mom and dad. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, Morgan, let's discuss how you began in the oil and gas industry. You know, I was born into this space. To say how it began for me is interesting because I feel like it's all I've ever known. You know, my father was a long-haul truck driver. and My mother was a beautician when they met. A few years later, they had the most expensive accident of their life, which was me. <laughs> Uh, it's a running joke. Surprise. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's good. It's amazing how God works in situations and, and what he Agreed. does. You know, there's no such thing as coincidences. But, you know, I've been blessed with the opportunity to grow up in this and to see my parents and their humble beginnings and how it really worked for them to build this business from, a, you know, stretching themselves thin, reinvesting everything, trying to stay debt free and succeeding at that nonetheless. And 
building it and all the different milestones in between what started and what it is now, I've seen a lot of different things and a lot of change happen. But for me, it was kind of like a bloodline thing, really. Yeah, I can relate to that. I'm fourth generation. can definitely relate to that. So what was it that really made you go, okay, all right, dad, I'll bite. Let's do this. You know, I think I can attribute that to my wife and my kids. I was a full-time drag racer and part-time oil guy for a How long exciting. Time. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun <laughs> traveling the country, you know, meeting new people, seeing new things and going fast and getting paid to do it is something that I feel very blessed to have had the opportunity to do. But when I met my wife, I knew that I finally met the one first off. And she is such a business savvy person. She's a mentor to me in a lot of ways. So that's not really how, so she was part of the racing thing with me, you know, but when we decided to have kids, I realized that there's only so much time in a person's life, you know, for career, for family, for everything. And I didn't want to, I guess, subject my kids to the same travel regimen that I had growing up. And I wanted them to be able to experience the, I guess, the life that my parents worked extremely hard to put in for me and my family and my siblings. And it's something that it took a long time for me to really get over the idea of just changing careers at what I would call my midpoint in life. But it was the right thing to do. And in hindsight, I wish I would have done it sooner because I feel like I've learned so much in such a short amount of time. And I don't regret it one bit because I've had the opportunity to watch my kids grow. I get to coach them in sports. And I feel like I have a new team now. I went from having a you know, twelve-person team that was my fraternity, to having this company with so many people that I feel like are family in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I completely understand too because you know my dad worked offshore, so you know I saw him seven and seven, maybe sometimes fourteen and fourteen. So I get the impact that makes on a child. It's funny as a child, you don't recognize how hard your parents are working for you. For me, I'm just trying to return the favor for my family. Very good. Very good. So tell me about your role at Lucas Oil. Well, my role at Lucas Oil is my title's president, but you know, it's an interesting company. We have obviously the mothership, which is the oil business, which is really centered around our additive and what we like to call fix-it products because we like to fix problems for people or solve problems for people, if you will. And that's a big thing to keep an eye on and to stay on top of and to create vision paths for. And then on top of that, we have a television network with Matt TV. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, yes. It's a really interesting thing. We're shockingly diversified for an oil business. And when I say that, I mean, there's just things that we're involved in that people would be like, why? But <laughs> <laughs> we are, and we take a lot of pride in everything that we jump into and television network being one of them. We have a fully operational cattle ranch in central Missouri. It's kind of my dad's passion. We have a, gosh, a golf course amongst other things. It just, it seems like the list keeps growing at times. Yeah, actually, I just got back from Oklahoma City and I drove from Houston and I saw Lucas Oil everywhere and I was just like, oh, wow, I'm actually interviewing the president of that company next week. That's kind of cool. Yeah, we actually were proud to announce a partnership with the Windstar Casino and the Chickasaw Nation on the event center that's going on at the casino right there in southern Oklahoma. 
that's going to be called Lucas Live. It's really exciting for us. It's, you know, we're always about reaching new people and showing people that we're engaged in their interests. Right. And this is just another really awesome step to get there. Sean Boyd, a gentleman with the Chickasaw Nation that I worked with and uh, my wife and our marketing team worked with has been amazing. And we're really looking forward to the grand opening. Awesome. That's fantastic. Okay. So it hasn't opened yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I believe this fall. Yeah. You know, I don't want to say for certain because that construction is construction. We all know how that goes. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Tell me more about Lucas Oil. Well, Lucas Oil is, again, like I said, a kind of our center of attention. And it is basically the thing that I would say we spend 90% of our time on, right? As a management team, but it works kind of as a quasi family office as well for all the other interests that we have. But Lucas Oil is fun. It's a lot of fun because as I said before, we like to solve problems. That's how the products were created in the first place was to solve my parents' problems with their trucking fleet that they had at the time. Interesting. You know, my father's a self-educated man and most people are taken back by the concept of a guy that drove a truck for all those years that, you know, found a way to work chemistry into that angle. But my dad worked nonstop to get to that point. So it just goes to show what a lot of effort can put in. But we started with a few products and now we have, gosh, countless amount of part numbers. And and that is because when customers come to us with a need, we try to accommodate that need the best that we can. And we're always trying to find the next product to solve what would be a modern problem for vehicles. And what's interesting is the original products my father created all those years ago are still highly effective in modern vehicles. Isn't that wild? It is. I jokingly say that he created an overkill product, but (laughs) I think he just had the foresight to realize that you can't make something too good. And that's what we always put an emphasis on. We try to test all of our products out in our own vehicles and fleets. We you know, go from kind of the real world application testing to something that we've invested a lot of money into as of late is more I and R&D testing as far as from lab side of things and failure testing, all kinds of things that we're trying to basically prove out anything we can before it ever hits the market. And we want to make sure that we're keeping up with the promises that we make our customers. It's exciting for me because my wife and I have, and I'm not patting ourselves on the back, but we feel like we've assembled an amazing team from whether it's manufacturing to front office. We have a great group that is all working with the same common goal, and that is to you know continue to reinvest in this company to make sure that we have something for the long haul. Yeah. What's that corny line? It's teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. But it's the truth. And it's amazing yeah. how many of these cliche, fun, old school terms don't mean anything to you until it applies to you. And I'm seeing it firsthand, but just the hard work and the care and passion that people have for not only what they do, but for the people around them. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into leadership now. What is leadership to you, Morgan? Well, leadership is definitely a combination of leading by example, caring for others, but also what I like to say, putting up guardrails, and maybe that's an old drag racing term, but giving people the opportunity to have autonomy to a certain point, but and to be able to find their groove within their job and their role so they can do the best that they can, but also to help create a work-life balance. For me, from a leadership perspective, it's just making sure that people have a voice and if I feel like someone doesn't, I try to you know, make the extra time and effort to remedy that problem. But 
you're only as good as your weakest link in any situation. And we try not to look at our employees as employees, but more or less family. And I think that that has helped us in you know, minimizing turnover. It's helped us in, I think, creativity and problem solving internally as a company. And those are big deals because if we're not holding each other accountable, and I think this goes to speak for any company, you know, you have to stay strong and stay bonded together as a team or else, you know, if you're going to start seeing weak points all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. That makes complete sense. So do you have an example of a difficult experience you've had as a leader? <laughs> yeah, I do actually. And it's fairly recent. We, as we all know, the supply chain issues were very inclusive to everyone and everything. And we experienced a lot of the rising costs and we had to raise some of our prices, but that was one of the last things that we wanted to do. And it really forced us to take a closer look at our company and I think set a, a loftier goal of efficiency, you know, something that we had, I think, stretched out as a three to five year plan from all aspects of efficiency and look at everything. We've sped that up because we're trying to minimize our overhead in order to you know, maintain price integrity for our customers. And that goes to speak for everyone, but that also entailed taking a hard look at all of our production facilities and our offices. And it, you know, put some focus on our California office in Corona, California, which we unfortunately had to shut down last fall. Mm. But production costs had risen to the point where it was very difficult to justify doing it there at that point because it was California, as we all know, is an expensive place to do anything. Well, not only that, but they don't even want you to have a gas stove. So there's that too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. They don't really like companies like ours in the first right. place. And that's not to say that's everybody. There's a lot of amazing people and a lot of amazing people in government and companies, businesses all over the place in California. It's just, it just wasn't the fit for us anymore. And we, in both an economical standpoint and I think a cultural standpoint, because it felt like, you know, we had two different offices that, you know, we're trying to accomplish two sets of goals. And it was just difficult to keep that in the right direction. So we made the difficult decision for the better health of the company to shut that down. And I feel like collectively as a leadership team, we learned a tremendous amount. It was a great amount of adversity, not only, you know, from the perspective of the people that, like I said earlier, we felt like we're family for a long time, having to say goodbye to them. Yeah. But, you know, also understanding the different HR guidelines and processes and policies that, you know, when I was drag racing, I didn't have to know any of those things. Yeah. <laughs> and that does speak of hiring people that are smarter than you in these situations. But like I said, we have a great team. That's what really got us through it. And sometimes in life, when you can share a common enemy or adversity with those around you, it will build a better bond. And I think that that helped us all immensely. Good, good. Well, that leads me to my next question. What is the most rewarding thing about being a leader? You know, it's interesting because I think if I were looking at it from purely a company that is selling something, a tangible item in the retail space to a customer, I would say that the most rewarding thing is knowing that we solved a problem, saved money for that consumer. I spent a week in customer service just to get to know that department a little bit, answering phones. Ooh, that's always that's call. always a fun department. <laughs> you know, it's crazy because I feel like for every one call that somebody, you know, had an issue where they didn't understand how to, honestly, it's amazing how few people read the back of the label 
but how to install the product into their vehicle. There's, I think probably it's a three to one ratio of people that are calling to say, hey, thank you. It was amazing. There was this woman from, who was a grandmother in Florida who was helping raise her daughter and her daughter's kids, who was explaining to me about the two jobs that she had to work and how she couldn't afford to not have her car. And she went to the transmission shop because her transmission was slipping. Mm. And they gave her a very hefty price tag. She said, honestly, it wasn't about the money. It was about the amount of time it was going to take for me to ride the bus to two different parts of town to do what I needed to do. And she said, I just wanted to say thank you because I went to the auto parts store. They recommended your product. I put it in and my car is running absolutely fine now. In fact, it's not even leaking anymore. Wow. And I can't thank you enough. She goes, even if it fails a year from now, you bought me this amount of time and I can't thank you enough for that. And it's like, I'm not trying to promote us. It's just, it's one of those things where it makes you feel like what you're doing is the right thing. You're not selling a gimmick. And we have a lot of competitors that, what I feel I think hurt our marketplace that they're selling, you know, virtually hand sanitizer in a bottle and they're putting these claims because it maybe makes some little white smoke that it's actually helping the combustion chamber, you know, things like that. And it discredits what we're working so hard to do. And that is to put credibility into the space that we're in. Yeah, I get that. It's a hard one. So if you would have a piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be, Morgan? You know, it's an amazing question because it's hard to give any one piece of advice because everybody's got different needs in life, right? But I think the best advice I can give has nothing to do with work, really. That's even better. (laughs) I, I think it has more to do with, in today's day and age, with all of the accessibility and drama and chaos that goes on through the news cycles and the change in the economy and government and all the things that happen, none of it should take priority over your personal and mental health and your well-being. You should always make time to have balance in life, whether it's for yourself or for your family, because at the end of the day, for me, it's my family, it's my faith, it's my job. Those are my things. But nothing to me is more important than my family and my faith. And I always want to make time for those things. And I think that it has created a sense of, I guess, for lack of better words, just consistency. And it allows me, whenever things get stressful or chaotic or anything else, it gives me a place to go to where I can just recenter and and get back to where I need to be. And life, you know, when you start adding things to it, it gets busier and busier and busier. And I look at calendars like they're a closet. You'll find something <laughs> in there. So you have to be intentional about making time for yourself and for your loved ones. Yeah, that's called self-care. It's very 100%. important. Very um, important. It is. And, you know, it's like I said, I get to coach my kids' baseball team. That is probably one of the most rewarding things that I do. And I look forward to it at practice tonight. And I get excited for it just because the kids have fun. I get to have fun with them. And that fills my cup. It really does. So like I said, if you take life too serious and you don't take time for yourself, you know, you're going to age a lot faster. That's fair. Yeah, that's good point. Good point. What book influenced you the most? Well, I feel like in recent years, you know, I do spend some time in Bibles. You would be shocked to hear after everything I've said during the interview. (laughs) (laughs) But I think there's a lot of, you know, life lessons and anecdotes that can apply towards a plethora of different things. And, you know, at the end of the day, the Bible, even if you don't believe in God, there's a lot of things in there to just teach you how to be a good person, a good human, and how to handle difficult situations. 
But there's a lot of books that are there. My wife loves the, what's it called, Atomic Habits and the Relentless, something about the pursuit of hurry or I can't remember what it's called, but great books. She's really enjoyed, you know, it's hard for me to nail down any one particular book, but I'd say that, you know, honestly, I think I take the most from the Bible these days. Yeah, no, that's fair. I personally don't I read a whole bunch. My younger life. Yeah, I can't <laughs> say that about my younger life, but I do now. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, my answer would be Harry Potter. So there's that. Well, no, hey, that's a solid, solid read. And I think if it, something brings you joy, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's good. What's your most used business tool? Oof, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for her to listen to this. Oh, I know. She's going to turn red. <laughs> no, honestly, it's tough. You know, most people would say their email or something like that. But I think the people around me, everybody here, you know, we work together. I don't like doing email. I don't. Oh, really. I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. You know, for every one email that you actually have to respond to, you have like three other ones that are just, you know, people CCing you on something that you don't need to be on. But Oh, that's my biggest pet peeve. It well, really is. That is how the world works now. And there's something impersonal about it. You can't really project the emotion you need to, you know, if you want to tell somebody thank you or that you appreciate them, reading it doesn't have the same effect as actually saying it and using your words. Yeah, because you can hear the emotion in the voice. Exactly. So 100%. And I think that that's where, to me, I'm spending the time that I do with people face to face and getting a chance to talk to them and, and collaborate with them. That to me is the most important tool in any business leader's bag. Yeah. How many emails do you think you have in your inbox right now? You know what? I could probably look at my phone and tell you, but then I would have this haunting anxiety creep over me. So I'll leave that one. I have 8,000. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I did have that. And I went through this binge of cleaning out emails from like however many years ago and older. And it's just going through it. Yeah. It was so tedious. But at some point, it's kind of like cutting your grass, though. When you get done doing it, you feel really good about it. Yeah. There is something satisfying about it, but I get the anxiety, too, because you're just like, oh, no, now what? A hundred percent. That bell, that little tone on your phone or your computer when it pops up, it's like, oh, is there a fire or not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if this is necessarily applicable because of the span of the reach of Lucas Oil, but who's your most respected competitor? I feel like we definitely have identified those people in-house. We typically, we don't utilize any of our competitors' brands in our marketing or typically, you know, I think we never want to ever come across like we're comparing ourselves to anyone, but there's some brands out there that are really trying to make moves in our space. And, you know, it's great to know that what I feel like is my father, my mother, it revitalized what was a space that was considered to be snake oil. And again, to that point earlier, I put the credibility in there that honestly, if you really want to think about it, I think because they have rebuilt this space to the point that it is, that's creating a lot of jobs. Even if they're not jobs that we supply, that's, that's a lot of people out there that are seeing success. And it's kind of a cool little honor to know that somehow in a backhanded way, we play a part in that. Oh, nice perspective. I really like that. I really like that answer. Well, I mean, you kind of touched on this already, but what makes your company better than the competition? You know, we don't compromise the integrity of our products. And I'll say it like that. And I think that goes to the people that are blending, formulating, shipping. We take it personally when there's a problem. 
or a customer has a problem, which is rare, but we definitely take that to heart and we work hard to remedy those issues when they happen. And typically, not typically, I mean, it's, you know, 999,000 times out of a million, those problems are not involving the actual finished product themselves. It's just, you know, business and things that happen. But when you really think about if you can put your head and your mind and your heart behind making something that you could be proud of, it makes it easier to sell and it makes it easier to relay the message. And sometimes if I tell our sales reps and people within the team, new employees, new team members, when they join, you know, it's good to go to Amazon. And I'm not saying that you need to shop from Amazon. I'm not saying you don't need to shop from Amazon because we have a lot of amazing customers, AutoZone, O'Reilly, Advanced, Walmart, yeah, and many, many, many more, Napa. We are very blessed to have all that business. But on Amazon, what you get there is a lot of reviews. Oh, and yeah. Good point. I'm guilty as anybody else. I use Amazon. And a lot of times just as a review source, just to check something out before I make a purchase. Yeah, I have an Amazon credit card, so. Yeah, you, you <laughs> my point, right? And it's really cool to go on there. And I remember the first time that we showed my father, because my dad's not a computer guy. He has my mom for that. And, <laughs> and he, he was just sitting there. We were sitting in our conference room. We put the monitor, or we fired the laptop up, hooked up to TV or whatever. And went to Amazon, started pulling up Lucas Oil reviews. And... The smile on his face, it was so big and he was so proud. And it was a big moment for us. But it goes back to that point. The thing that we take the most pride in is knowing, you know, that we are helping the customer, that we're solving their problems, and to read people talking about their problems being solved. That's so cool. It is. It really is cool because we're not paying for that. Right. That's free marketing. It's authentic. It's real. And right. We take pride in putting, you know, premium products as a you know, making that the priority in what we manufacture, where I think other people get so focused on, you know, putting together a cheap product that'll create a cheap price point, you know, that doesn't always give the results that people are hoping for and expect. And I think that right. we do the opposite of that. Yeah. Okay. So in your 39 years of living, what is your most important lesson learned? I feel like that parallels the advice I would give to somebody, but, you know, as a kid, I was always anxious about what life was going to be like when I got older. And then in my 20s, I really didn't care what was going to happen when I got older. And it goes back to that balance that needs to be created. You know, I think the lessons learned that I've had in my life are so many and so many different experiences. And I don't know, it's such a, to me, impossible question to answer because I feel like I'm still learning every day, still going through these things. Well, that's the only way you survive in this industry. Is yeah. You have to keep learning. Stay fluid. Yeah. But no, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I'd say best thing for me that's ever happened that's had influence on my life was getting married and having kids, like I said earlier. So, you know, I think getting your priorities right is probably the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> Heck, I don't even know if I answered your question right. <laughs> <laughs> There's no right answer, Morgan. So you're good. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. Why is your role now important to the future of the oil and gas industry? I think it's, again, to the point that I was trying to make earlier, I think, you know, having that integrity within what we manufacture and what we ship from our docks is paramount. The world has changed so much, and I know there's a big push towards EVs, but I think the big thing to realize, too, is that it takes equipment to manufacture those vehicles and mm -hmm. equipment and to 
facilitate the machinery and all the different many things. You know, I don't think the infrastructure is in place yet for us to be a completely electric country. I don't think that'll ever happen. Yeah. And I agree. I'd like to believe that, you know, that that's the case. You know, if you can get the government to stop meddling, it, it'd probably be a little bit easier to let the free market dictate what's going to happen. But that's, Oh, don't even get me started on that. Conversation <laughs> for a different day, right? <laughs> but we want to know that we're helping people. And I think when we're looking at what we're doing in our industry, we feel like we're adding credibility to it. We're not pumping the oil out of the ocean. We're not pumping it out of the ground. We are taking finished materials and we're formulating them to make the best product for the customer. And I think, you know, we add what I like to believe is we add a good name to what has become a, a muddied space just based on public opinion and false narratives. The oil industry does so much good for this country. If people would just take a moment to really look at that, the amount of jobs supplied alone is tremendous. But the fact that there's hardly a piece of clothing or material in a house or anything else that didn't have some petroleum aspect to it at some point in time. Well, even devices, you know, we're on a computer right now, but you also have your phone next to you. What is that made of? It's made of hydrocarbons. A thousand percent. And that that's, the, I think, the, really the... And I know I'm going off on a separate tangent, and it's not answering the question of why we're important. But I look at it like we're important because we're looking out for the little guy. We're trying to save them money. We're trying to really put them first. And at the end of the day, that's our contribution to the world. I don't know if I can say that that contributes to the oil industry in general. But you know, if we can help keep gas burning, oil utilizing cars on the road longer, which in turn saves consumers money then that means there's going to be a longer need for gasoline and diesel and you know fossil fuels. So hopefully we can help that industry a little bit, but you know, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much. I think we're just going to stay focused on helping consumers and just doing the best we can in that space. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about telling someone about the industry that doesn't understand the industry? Because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there to put a target on our backs. Well, something that I've heard people in conversation discussing that fracking is this horrible, horrendous thing. And, you know, when you can explain to people that technology has really caught up so much with that space that it's the problems that, you know, happened a long time ago aren't happening now. And it's a much safer, like I said, safer program for people. So that's one thing I think expressing to people like we just talked about, you know, hydrocarbons, I mean, the role that oil or, you know, basically crude petroleum, everything plays in today's world is much bigger than I think anybody's ever given it credit to be. I think it's being politicized and has been for decades longer than I've probably been alive. Right. And at the end of the day, it's a necessity that still keeps us going. But if people want their, you know, airline tickets prices to go up, and the cost of clothing and all of different things to continue to go up. Sure, restrict oil production. If that's what you're looking for, uh, you could shoot yourself in the foot. But I think what we should be focused on is, you know, creating balance in this world. And I think the biggest, most eye-opening thing that I have conversation-wise with people is the fact that the electric movement is actually harming the environment much more than modern internal combustion engines, and they don't understand that from that perspective, it's tough for people to wrap their head around. The, yeah. the idea that 
the carbon footprint from the manufacturing process of an electric vehicle is that high. Yeah. Now, also, the other question is, I have, it, there's probably technology I don't even know about, but how do you store the energy that's coming from these wind turbines that are just covering so many acres of farmland across our country right now? Do people know that there's oil and lubricants in those things in the gearboxes? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it takes both in order to create a sustainable world for us to live in. Right. And I couldn't agree more. I think if people become more open-minded and just like in politics or life or religion or anything, you know, being too closed off to someone else's opinion and how they came to that position is, it's unhealthy. That's the world we live in. And it's, you're either this or that. And I choose not to feel that way. Very good. So do you have a favorite podcast? Well, this one now, because I'm going to be listening to it, uh, <laughs> in a couple of weeks or whenever we air here, I apologize. But I listen to a lot of different podcasts. You know, if it's sports related, I actually like to listen to Pat McAfee. And that he can be a little bit abrasive for people, but his perspective on things is refreshing sometimes because <laughs> <laughs> he's not very filtered. But <laughs> it's hard for me to read on one thing because it's like my music. I listen to everything. I feel like it's more or less what am I in the mood for that day. So I don't want to make anybody feel singled out. But I, I do appreciate what you're doing and the education that you're putting out there for people. The fact that you're shedding a different light on oil, natural gas. I mean, to that point, natural gas is being used to make motor oils now, right? I mean, it, it's right. very interesting to see that there's a lot of room left in technology when it comes to lubricants. And, you know, we like to believe that because our products are going through fuel systems, that it's reducing the amount of NOx emissions going out in the world. And so all these fun little things that I felt like I forgot to say during the interview, but <laughs> it's okay. But it's good to have somebody that's in our corner because, you know, we care about our communities. We care about our people. And the prosperity it brings. It's the truth. We cannot become a service-only country because if we do that, we will fail. And I want there to be a world for my kids, and I would like to believe that others would want the same for theirs. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Morgan. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Lucas Oil, how might they go about doing so? You can call uh, Lucas Oil hotline at 1-800-342-2512. You can go to lucasoil.com. You can check out any of our social media pages. You know, You're know, uh, not on LinkedIn, are you? I'm not. I have ditched. How does that feel? <laughs> it's all liberating. You know, again, growing up in a family business, there's just certain things I don't have to do. That's and so cool. It's refreshing. I feel like my phone has me unlocked enough. I don't need it to be worse. So yeah, I just choose not to be on that stuff and I enjoy it. And it's nice because I don't have to post pictures of everything. I can be in the moment. I'd like to talk about other people, but when LeBron broke the scoring, uh, Kareem scoring record, mm -hmm. there's a still shot of everybody along the baseline standing up with their phones, getting to take pictures. And this one guy who's just sitting there watching it all go down and he's there and he's creating this mental memory of a very cool moment, a very special moment in sports history. I think that there needs to be more of that in this world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's just because you and I are millennials. I'm kind of the same way. Like I'll even take pictures and completely forget to even post anything. I'm well, that person. Well, that's it. I mean, right. If you're taking a picture, it should be for something that you want to revisit later or you need to revisit later. You know, my wife is so good about going through the, what is the history section on the photos where it gives you kind of like five years ago today. 
Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah. about. She, she does that. Memories. <laughs> yeah. And she'll hold these pictures of our kids when they're babies, and it brings up good memories. That's a picture should do. Now, you know, yeah, it's something that you want to hold on to, but it should be something that you're doing just because you want to feel cool that you were there to get it. Yeah. yeah. It teaches their own. Yeah, I agree. All right. That concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.